0: Last week, in verses 1 to 11 of John chapter 15, Brother Steve reminded us of the necessity of abiding in Christ. The necessity of abiding in Christ. Jesus would say in in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, separated from Christ, alienated from Him, we can do nothing. We can do no thing of eternal value and significance. We are miserable, hopeless, helpless without Christ and His grace. Jesus here, as He is leading up to that time when He would be arrested and would ultimately go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Here in this precious time, He is encouraging and instructing His disciples and and us. By, By virtue of John writing and recording these precious words, we have the benefit to learn from them, to hear them, to hear what Christ would want to say to us today. Jesus wants us to know and to experience His love and His joy. So Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy May be full. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. That is good news. Jesus wants His followers. He wants us to abide in Him, to abide in His love, to abide in His joy, that we would manifest and show and reflect His love and His joy. And so Jesus now turns His attention to teaching His disciples how and why they ought to love one another. And the answer, as you would imagine, flows out of Christ himself us abiding in Him. Our relationship with Christ, our standing and position in Him is the motivation, is our instruction to love one another. Please note that on your outline. Christ Himself, our standing in Him is our, becomes our motivation, our instruction to love one another. And so in these verses, Jesus will talk a lot about what it means to be His friend. And if we have ears to hear, if we have eyes to see, this will serve as a clear and powerful instruction and motivation to us to love one another. Now, before we read the text before us in its entirety, let me show you what I mean. Let's look at how this section both begins and ends. Look for a moment at verse 12. John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you Love one another as I have loved you. Now, jump down to verse 17 and see how it concludes. Jesus says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So whatever Jesus says between verse 12 and verse 17, the intention is clear. The instruction is clear, the ultimate end result should be obvious to us that Jesus wants us to walk in love, to walk in His love, to love one another, to show and to manifest His love. So that's the point, how do we get there? Let's read the text and find out together. John chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse 12. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So reads the words of the living God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have shown us perfect love. On this Father's Day, we remember and we celebrate the fact that you are our good Father. That we can come to you, that we can appeal to you at any moment because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That we may come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so, Father, this morning we come. And we ask that Your Spirit would work mightily among us, that we would be conformed to the likeness and to the image of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, please teach us, show us, help us to learn what it means to more fully and rightly love one another, to walk in love as Christ has shown and has demonstrated and has instructed for our benefit. And we pray this all in His good and precious name. Amen. In the verses before us, I'm sure that you noticed several times, Jesus emphasizes that his disciples are his friends, that he loves them, he treats them as friends. And this again underscores the truth that Jesus is our motivation. He is our example in learning rightly how to love and respond to one another. Jesus' love draws out our love. As we see and behold the goodness and the love of Christ, we are motivated and instructed to love like Him. We can love Him and one another only because He has first loved us. And so, this morning, we want to focus on some of the specifics of what Jesus says here concerning our friendship, our relationship with Him, and we want that truth to have its full effect upon us, that we would Do as Jesus commands here. That we would be inspired and motivated to rightly love one another so with that in mind look again at how verse 12 begins verse 12 jesus says this is my commandment that you love one another please note this on your outline number one our friendship our relationship with christ involves firstly a recognition of his right to command us now, I think this probably goes without saying, but that's one of the joys of preaching. You get to state the obvious. You get to say those things that really should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Jesus has the right to command us. Amen? Amen. Jesus has the right to, to charge us, to tell us what we ought to say and do. We owe our complete undying allegiance to Him. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is Lord of Lords. And so when he says, this is my commandment, we had better sit up and take notice. When Jesus says, this is my commandment, we ought to respond, speak, Lord, your humble servant is listening. Right? When Jesus speaks to us, we should be all ears because, friends, this is the same Jesus who would say in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is the same Jesus who commands the waves and the wind, who commands nature itself to obey Him. This is the same Jesus that Paul says in Colossians 1.18 should be preeminent over everything, in everything. This is the same Jesus that John saw on the island of Patmos whose eyes were like a flame of fire, whose feet were like burnished bronze, whose voice was like the roar of many waters, and from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And so, yes, when Jesus speaks, may we listen. When Jesus speaks, may we respond with appropriate humility before Him. When Jesus gives a command, friend, don't mistake it for a suggestion. He is Lord. He is King. He is God. He has every right to command us. So Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And our response again should be, yes, Lord, your servant is listening now, having said that, we really ought to finish the verse. That's not all that Jesus says here in this verse. He doesn't just say, this is my commandment that you love one another. No, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then just in case there is any question in our minds, there is any wondering about how Christ has loved us, to what degree he has loved us, Jesus then goes on to explain in the very next verse, in verse thirteen, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Number two, on your outline, please note that our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves knowing and seeing Christ. As the supreme example of self-sacrificing love. Jesus is the supreme example of self-sacrificing love. Here Jesus gives us the command to love like he loves. And then he explains the depth. He explains the greatness of his love. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus shows us pure, perfect, sacrificial love. Jesus explains the nature here of true, godly, agape-like kind of love. Love is self-sacrificing. Love seeks the good of the one being loved. Love is not preoccupied with personal comfort, with ease, with relaxation, but with serving and benefiting the one being loved. Love, Love is not asking the question, well, what's in this for me? How is this going to benefit me, make my life more easy, more comfortable? How can I be more popular through? This, in the eyes of others, no love sacrifices. Love lays down its life to serve and bless and care for the one being loved. In other words, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Now, there are at least two things that we ought to say about the love of Christ. This love that would willingly go to the cross, enduring the wrath of God, the shame that we deserve. Two things we ought to say. Please note this on your outline. In love, Christ lowered Himself. He humbled Himself in ways we cannot fully imagine or comprehend. And listen, we were in no way deserving of such sacrifice we were in no way deserving of such sacrifice it was unimaginable condescension on the part of christ to leave the glories of heaven and to fulfill the father's plan of salvation The Apostle Paul helps us to somewhat begin to get our minds around this condescension, this humbling of Christ when he writes in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In that little phrase here in Philippians 2, He humbled Himself, is an ocean of condescension, is an, is an ocean of humility. I believe that for all of eternity we will marvel, we will stand amazed at Christ's willingness to leave heaven and to come and die for sinners like us for we were not worthy. We are not worthy of such sacrifice. We are undeserving of His love. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so the Bible rightly teaches, Paul says, in Romans 5, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. Christ came to earth taking on flesh while we were, quite frankly, pitiful, hideous, unlovely, rebellious in attitude and action towards Him. And so if we are commanded to love like Jesus, and we are, then we're going to have to get used to the idea of loving one another even when we're not lovely Right? We're gonna have used to the idea of loving one another even when we are not lovely. We must show love especially when it is hard to show love if we are actually going to follow and imitate the example and the command of Christ. Listen, you cannot be patient unless somebody is slow. Okay? You, you cannot be long suffering unless someone is annoying. You cannot resist the urge to be irritable if you are never with irritating people. You cannot show grace and forgiveness unless you are sinned against, unless you are wronged. And this is, I think, in part, why Paul speaks so plainly and writes so clearly to the Colossians. In Colossians 3, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, writes Paul, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And brothers and sisters, lest we think that somehow we are above condescending to that level lest you think that you should not have to humble yourself and lower yourself to show such patience and long-suffering and forgiveness, I plead with you to remember what we just discussed a few moments ago. Remember the humility. Remember the condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ in light of Jesus' willingness to leave the glories of heaven and to come to earth in light of Jesus' willingness to leave heaven and to die naked, hanging on a Roman cross for our sin, is there ever anything that Jesus could ask us to do that would be beneath our dignity? Is there anything that Jesus could ask us to do that we could say, Sorry, I'm, I'm above that. I know you left heaven to die naked on a cross for my sin, but I will not lower myself to follow your example. That, that's crazy talk, right? We are called to follow and to imitate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is nothing He could ask us to do that is beneath our dignity. Christ descended from heaven to die, we can descend from our alleged dignity to love and serve those around us. So our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves us seeing and knowing Him as the supreme example of self-sacrificing love. Next, look again at what Jesus says in verse 14. Verse 14, this is a most curious little statement. Jesus says in verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. (laughs) What does that mean? What? Why does Jesus say that here and now at this point in the conversation? Well, noted on your outline, number three, our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves practical, tangible, ordinary, everyday kind of obedience. It is very obvious from the text that Jesus expects his disciples, and I would say by, by virtue of extension us, to, to obey him. Jesus says, you, you are my friends if you do what I command you. know, again, this sounds very strange to our ears. We would never dream of saying that to someone. I mean, I, I cannot imagine going up to, to my, my dear friend, Mike Wolfe, and saying, you know, Mike Wolfe, you are my friend if you do what I command you you. That is so weird. You, I'm willing to bet you have never said that to someone. You've never gone up to a friend of yours and say, you know, we are friends if you do what I command you. And we would never dream of hearing that from our friends. We would think it's so strange if a friend of ours approached us and said, hey, you know, you are my friend if you do what I command you. What is this about? Why does Jesus Say this. How should we think about and understand Jesus' words here? Let me give you just a few thoughts. Firstly, note this on your outline. Remember, Jesus is God. And so he belongs in a category distinct from all your other friendships. Okay, if I could say it like this, none of your other friends are God. And so and so we should expect this friendship this relationship to look different Jesus as God is infinitely holy he is infinitely transcendent he is other he is distinct from us and so we should expect then our friendship our relationship with him to look different than it does from just mortal to mortal, person to person, one man or woman made in the image of God to another man or woman made in the image of God. As God, Jesus has every right to require full, perfect, complete obedience from us. He is our friend, yes, but he is God. And we should never lose sight of that profound reality. Jesus alone gets to set the conditions. He gets to set the parameters of our friendship, of our relationship. Secondly, we should remember that, and this ought to be a great comfort to us. Please note this on your outline. None of your other friends perfectly loves you and always has your good in mind. But Jesus does. Jesus does. He perfectly loves you in a way like no one else. He always has your good in mind. And this is very different from every other human-to-human relationship and friendship that we experience. I mean, even your BFF. I mean, your BFF, and you guys, you bought matching bracelets at Kings Island so that you would always remember who your BFF, you know, the one who loves you so much, the one who is, the one friend who has stood with you through thick and thin, the one who is Robin to your Batman, the one who is Chewbacca to your Solo, The one who is peanut butter to your jelly. The one who is Simon to your Garfunkel. He or she does not love you like Jesus loves you. They they do not always have your good in mind. Your best friend in the world, no matter how wonderful they are, they struggle with pride. They struggle with sin just like you do. No matter how close and how good this friend may be, they struggle with selfishness. They struggle with sin. They do not love you in the same perfect way that the Lord Jesus Christ does. Only God loves us perfectly. And His plans for us, for His children, are always for our good. And for His glory, His desires for us are good and as such... He demands that we follow him. He demands that we look to him and he, and that we would respond in humble obedience to him because he loves us, because he knows what is best for us. And friend, I know it is so frustrating. When you try to help someone who doesn't want to be helped, amen? It is, it is very, and listen, every parent understands this, right? Every, I mean, it is, it is Father's Day, so it is fine that we would talk about this today, but it is frustrating when you are trying to help your children and you know what is best for them and they resist you. They they push back against you. I can remember when our our kids were uh, younger before they had learned perfect obedience, um, and it was frustrating. You know when they were two and three years old, trying to get them dressed and they and they twist their bodies and they contort their bodies and they and they and they pull their knees up i can remember trying to feed them food that would be good for them uh, our our precious little uh daughter makayla she would sit in her high chair she would tightly close her mouth and then she would look right at us and close her eyes as as as, as if to say i can't even see you right now i i not only can i not eat this food i can't even see you right and and then and then afterwards we would try to clean them up and you put them in the bathtub and they fight and they run off naked and you're trying to hunt them down and and it can be so frustrating listen jesus always knows what is best for us our Perfect, loving, heavenly Father always knows what is best for us. And so we ought to, in great humility, trust Him and offer up our lives before Him because He does know best for our good. Next, it's also important to remember, please note this on your outline, (laughs) none of your other friends has the right to call you slave, but Jesus does. Jesus does. In verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, the Greek word here translated as servant is the word doulos. It is much, I think, more accurately translated or rendered as slave. Slave. Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, the point is, Jesus could rightly call us Slaves. He could rightly refer to us as servants if he wanted. That would be appropriate. He is the master. He is the Creator. He is the Sovereign King. And yet, in mercy and grace, He does not call us slave. He does not call us servant. He calls us and treats us as as friends. And yet, we must never confuse the issue and think that because Jesus treats us with such grace and kindness, well then, we're peers. We are on equal footing. And I have every right to say, no To my friend. Friend, do not make that mistake. He treats us with unbelievable mercy and kindness and grace, but he is the master. He is the King and we, as I said earlier, we owe our allegiance to Him and this is consistently seen throughout the New Testament. Virtually every New Testament writer all regarded themselves and talked about themselves as servants or slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Christ considered them and treated them as, as friends. Romans 1.1 1, 1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1-1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Titus 1-1. Paul, a slave of God. James 1-1. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude verse 1. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Revelation 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves, the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his slave, John. And these New Testament writers, I would remind you, wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it was their joy to consider themselves a slave, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ The fact that Jesus calls us and treats us as friends, listen, magnifies his grace, magnifies his mercy towards us. He lavishes us with grace and treats us as friends, treats us as beloved children, co-heirs with him. Next, look at how verse 15 ends. Look at how verse 15 ends. Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. Please note this on your outline. Number four, uh, our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves knowing God and his will, his plan, his design for all things and this is quite amazing see as a as a slave uh, you re- really don't get to ask why right uh, why is not a big question always usually normally on the heart and mind of a slave just imagine a master saying to his slave i have a very important job for you i would like for you to take this box and and deliver it to mr so and so and then imagine the slave stepping back folding his arms and saying why? Why? Uh, I'm sorry, why? That is irrelevant. I have, I have told you what to do. I am the master. You owe your allegiance, your obedience to me. Uh, what do you mean, why? Why is an irrelevant question to a slave. If he's been commanded to do something, he simply needs to obey. But notice what Jesus says here. Jesus says, I have not treated you this way. I've not just given you wildly commands, explaining nothing to you. I have brought you in. I have disclosed myself to you. I have made the Father known to you. I have talked about His will and His glorious sovereign plan. I have not treated you as strangers or as enemies or even as servants and slaves, but I have brought you in that you may know me, that you may know the Father, that you may know what we are doing. Jesus doesn't owe us any information. He doesn't owe us anything. But again, he shows grace upon grace. He treats us as friends. He brings us in that we may see and know and understand him. His life, his character, his nature, his plan, the Father's plan. Jesus invites us to see and to know big picture what, what, what the Father has planned, what the Father is doing. We know, brothers and sisters, where history is ultimately leading. We, we see the big picture. We know that Christ will return. We know that Christ will rule and reign on the earth. We know that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We know about God's glorious plan to save people from every tribe and nation and language. We know about the goodness of God and sending the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to empower us that we may continue on this glorious work of Christ. We know about the realities of heaven and hell. And so Jesus rightly says, I have not treated you as slaves. I have brought you in. I I have told you what i've heard from the father there is a closeness there is an intimacy in our relationship look at what jesus now says in verse 16 look at what jesus reminds them of next verse 16 you did not choose me but i chose you Here we see, please note it on your outline, our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves an understanding that he initiated this relationship. He initiated this relationship. Jesus is crystal clear on this point. You did not choose me, but I chose you you. He chose us. He made the decision to love us, to call us to Himself. We did not first approach Him. We did not come to Him. He made the decision to set His redeeming, saving, sanctifying love upon us lost, dead sinners and adopt us and make us His children. And this is important because it helps to further Boast in and to magnify Christ and His grace, this helps us answer the question, who gets the credit for my salvation, for my relationship with God? Who initiated this relationship? Do I have anything to boast about in myself in regards to my salvation? Peter would say in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. James would say in James one eighteen, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. John would simply say in First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And Paul would write to the Corinthians saying, and because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are loved, we are adopted, we are called friends of God because of His gracious work on our behalf. He has chosen to make Himself known. He has chosen to set His love upon us. And so He deserves all the glory, all the credit for this relationship. Now, look at the second half of verse 16. The second half of verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Note this on your outline. Here we see our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves participating in the most important and significant work in the universe. I know it sounds like I'm really overselling that, but I'm not. In fact, if anything, I am understating this uh, because words fail me to rightly magnify and, and articulate just what a glorious thing it is to share in the work of Jesus Christ. This is a work that will abide forever. That will abide for all of eternity. So how do you put a price on something that is of eternal significance? Jesus loves us. He saves us. And then he sends us to go and to bear fruit. To continue his work. To carry on his mission. Remember what Jesus said back in verse 8 of this same chapter. He said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Okay, fruit is that which glorifies the Father. Fruit is that which proves that we are, in fact, followers of Christ, children of God. Now, this fruit involves a changed heart a heart that now loves God and His Word. This fruit involves a willing, joyful obedience to, to do God's will, to delight in God's will, to, to delight in what God delights in. This fruit involves our, our thoughts, our our attitude, as we now strive to continually give thanks to God in all circumstances. This fruit involves our words and our actions as we speak, Speak as representatives of Christ, as ambassadors for Christ, so that so that our fellow believers will be edified and that non-believers will be saved and would hear the truth concerning Christ, His goodness, and His offer of salvation for anyone and everyone who will repent and believe. Jesus' words here remind us, should remind us, of what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been appointed to go, to bear fruit, to fulfill and to carry on the work that Christ has begun. This is a work that God has entrusted to us. And Jesus says in verse 16 that our fruit should abide our fruit should abide what does this mean exactly in what way does our fruit our work abide let me give you a few thoughts that might be helpful on this firstly noted on your outline our fruit abides in that God remembers it and honors it with eternal rewards the writer of Hebrews seems to be emphasizing and thinking about this this, this glorious truth when he writes in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. Right? God does not forget. God does not overlook the work that his children do for his glory. God has never overlooked anything that that any one of, of his redeemed has done to love and to serve and to care for one another. God remembers and God lavishes good gifts and rewards on on his children. There is eternal joy For those who go and bear fruit, as Jesus talks about. In this way, our work does abide. In that God Himself remembers it and honors it for all time. Next, noted on your outline, our fruit abides in that it involves loving, serving, helping, and evangelizing eternal souls. Eternal souls. Everyone will live forever either in the presence of God or cast out away from the presence of God. But everyone will exist forever. Therefore, the work that we do to help others grow has effects that will remain, that will abide, that will last on into eternity. And by the way, I think this fits the context of this passage beautifully because Jesus is here again and again emphasizing His command to us that we love one another. We are to love one another and as we do, we love those who will last, who will live for all of eternity and so in this way, our work, our fruit, does abide Jesus desires that His disciples, His people, would go and bear fruit, would share in His mission, would share in this eternally significant mission and work. There is nothing more important than we could be a part of than walking in obedience to Christ, showing His love, continuing His glorious work until He returns. This is a tremendous blessing, honor, and privilege that we have been given to be an ambassador for Christ. And so, to encourage and strengthen His disciples as they think about this, as they anticipate now going and bearing fruit, look at what Jesus says next to them at the end of verse 16. He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that... Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Please note it on your outline. Our friendship, our relationship with Christ involves us having access to God's abundant, never-ending, never-failing resources. We are supposed to go and bear fruit. And the disciples may have been thinking, you may be thinking, that is all well and good, that sounds fine, how are we going to do that? How are we going to go and bear fruit? Where is the strength going to come from? Where do we get the resources that we need to go and to carry on the work and the mission of Jesus? Jesus tells them and us, go and ask the Father in my name and He will give you everything that you need to bear fruit, to glorify me. Go and ask the Father. He will give it to you. He'll just, he'll give it graciously, freely. Go to him. Run to him and find what you need to go and bear fruit for my glory. Are we going to bear fruit on our own? Are we going to bear fruit in our own strength, according to our own resources, according to our own courage, our own boldness, our own wisdom, our own ability? No. No! A thousand times no! We're going to go to the Father and He's going to supply grace upon grace, strength that is needed, boldness and courage that we may rightly represent Christ. It was E.M. Bounds who said, the story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer. If we want to go and bear fruit that remains. If we want to share in the mission of Christ, walking in, 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 in obedience before Him, in, in humility before Him, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray and ask the Father to supply all that is needed, that Christ may be glorified, that His gospel be advanced, and that we rightly love one another. Because don't forget that after saying all of this, Jesus concludes in verse 17 with these words, These things I command you so that you will love one another. So if we hear all this and we just walk away and we refuse to love and to serve and to care for one another, something is very wrong. Something is fundamentally, tragically wrong in our thinking, in our attitude, in our understanding, in our application of this truth and of our seeing of the life and the example of Christ. Later, John, writing many years later, in that little epistle known as 1 John, would write these words. In uh, 1 John 3.14, He says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because... We love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And then he would say in chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so I plead with you to remember how we started this morning. To remember that Christ Himself, our standing with Him and in Him must be our motivation, our example, our instruction to loving one another. His love instructs our love. His love draws out our love as His Spirit works in us and through us. So please never think of love as some Feeling, some weird, vague, nebulous, fuzzy kind of feeling. Remember what Jesus has taught us here. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love is not a feeling. Love is not driven by self-interest. It is a determination to seek the good, to seek the benefit of the one being loved, as that child is testifying right now. Um, We must allow the teaching and the example of Christ Himself to defile define love for us we are not free let me say this again we are not free to define love however we want to define love we are not free to love one another any old way we want we are we are not given that 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 liberty our love must be conformed to the image and to the likeness of christ and to his love only in that way will we rightly understand and love one another. So let us abide in Christ. Let us love one another. And then next week, next week, let us be prepared to live and to thrive in an environment that is hostile to Christ and to His gospel. That's where we, that's, that's where we get to go next week. That's where Jesus takes His men, His disciples next week as He prepares them for for life in a fallen world. How are we going to do this? How are we going to love one another? How are we going to live and thrive in this fallen, sinful world? You come back next week and we will talk about that. Listen, Jesus wants His disciples to be prepared for the persecution, for the difficulty that will inevitably come. But he does not want us, he does not want his disciples to be fearful or to be anxious about it, but to be confident in him, to be confident in his grace and in his holy spirit god has given us the gift of one another god has given us the gift of his spirit so that his people would be victorious even when persecution comes so please come back next week that we may be further prepared and strengthened to go and bear fruit and to love like christ let's pray gracious father we pray that we would not forget The words of Christ here, but that we would be well instructed and well resolved in our heart and in our minds to pattern our lives, to pattern our love after Christ. Help us to each and every day to look to Christ, to think rightly on his love and on his example that we may follow in his footsteps. Give us boldness and courage that is needed to love one another and to place you as the ultimate priority in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.